1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: The information depicted in this podcast is purely for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle or routine. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Boost Your Biology podcast. This morning, I have a very special guest with me. He's a senior lecturer with the Academy of Applied Movement Neurology and works directly to achieve balance in the governing systems of the body, optimizing nervous system communication, as well as upgrading the subconscious programs to meet with the requirements of Your very best life. He's a master healer and brain optimization guru. Scott Robinson, welcome to the show, man.
1: Hey, mate. Thank you very much for having me. That's a a big lead-in. I've just (laughs) got to try and live up to the billing now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Awesome, man. Awesome. Do you want to let my listeners know a little bit more about your journey and introduce yourself and
1: let them know who you are? Yeah, sure. So, look, so I am known as The Brain Guy on Facebook and Instagram Um, I'll start with where we're at because I think that's probably the easiest way to try and understand it. I don't have anybody. I've got, I'll tell a lie. I have one. I have one client out of all the hundreds and hundreds of clients that I have seen and see. I have one client who can kind of explain what I do. Um, So I think it's easy just to try and give some level of context. Basically, what I do in 25 words or less is just help get the old you out of the way so you can get on with being the very best version of yourself, live your very best life. That's basically it. We work with the brain, work with the mind, work with all the energy consciousness systems of the body, and you're working with all of those systems that literally govern your experience of life. So if you're working with all of the control centers, it kind of stands to reason if you make small changes to those control centers, and they, they end up making some pretty big changes in the outputs that you experience in your physical day-to-day. So depending, everybody, if, I always say if you have a brain, that's kind of the minimum performance requirement to get to do some work with me um and so literally it doesn't really matter where you're starting from i'll see some incredibly complex cases i'll see you know i was talk i have one client who i see lots of brain injury clients of you know depression anxiety ocd all sorts of really complex presentations i've got one client who's even had half her brain removed which is an incredible thing and that's just been the most amazing journey but it doesn't really matter where you're starting from because it's those same control systems that are that are really governing and mediating your current experience of life. So whatever level of life you feel like you're at, that's it's those same systems that are at play that are that are creating that experience. So you know, and there's subconscious beliefs that we can literally just change that can change your that experience. You know, pretty much overnight. So um, it all started for me just working with the brain, working with neurology, and working with. Um, bioelectricity and changing all of the altered altered firing patterns. Um, and that was amazing. And that was an incredible learning experience to sort of um, navigate your way through neurophysiology, uh, just using intention to try and understand, well, literally to detail what's kind of going on with health. Um, and that was fantastic, but it was kind of limited to only working with people who had dysfunction. You kind of had to have something wrong with you to, you know, so to speak, which is not a real motivating place for a lot of people to come from. You know, most people... You know, if we're talking healing, a lot of people don't want to go into a healing journey because it feels like you have to admit that you're broken to start off, you know, which is not, which is fundamentally not true, but that's what it feels like for a lot of people. So, um, that, that, yes, that experience kind of limited me to just working with dysfunction and just healing people who felt that they were broken or thought, you know, had to sort of step up to, you know, heal something. Um, and then more things just opened up into my awareness. It's like, it's exactly what we say, what we say sort of in neuroscience, that there's so much more that we don't know about the brain than we currently do know. And really being in a space where you're just free to ask questions and dive in and discover what the truth of things are when unexpected things pop up or there's things you don't have an explanation for. Um, it It's just a Pandora's box of information and just a Pandora's box of just exciting new discoveries. And so mm-hmm. I've kind of just been diving around in that, rabbit hole for the last sort of six or seven years really and there's just an incredible amount of growth that kind of happens when you're when you're in that when you're just open to the truth of what is you know and you're you're literally on the frontier of you know working with what's possible so I've seen a lot of amazing things Uh, I I doubt that there's that I'm anywhere near the finish line with that Um, you know you, you never I never know how much more there is to go but it's just an exciting space to be in and you do get to see a lot of profound change in, in life for people. And I think the biggest thing is um, just taking those limitations off and having people sort of seen on understand that it's just, it's literally the limitations that we create for ourselves, you know, that, that are um, creating that more limited experience of life that we might be currently in. Mm.
0: Yeah. I can relate to a lot of what you said there in, in terms of um, that sense of discovery. I really like that, you know, there's, there's so much mm. left unexplored and there's so much more to learn and, um, it sounds like you've had some, you know, crazy experiences with clients and also what you've seen, some, some of the crazy cases you've just mentioned. There's one area in particular I'd love to dive into. Um, I know you do quite a lot of work around trauma and I don't think I've had, I've only had one other guest on the podcast that sort of touched on trauma. So I'd love to dive into it and sort of unpack this term. Mm,
1: yeah, absolutely. Okay, so first thing you understand for most people, when we talk about trauma, we're right off track. So most people when we talk about trauma, I'll give you the example. I posted something a while ago because this is just a classic example of I guess where most people's awareness level of awareness is at with trauma. So there was a, a study done highlighting a potential link between ADHD and trauma. And so if you've had a trauma, then there was, you know, in childhood, there's a, there's a, an increased likelihood that you can end up with something like ADHD. Now, I got a huge number of emotional reactions from people, which is not something that I'm ever trying to create. Um, there's a lot of people that sort of went, oh, wow, that's fantastic. Amazing information. Fantastic. I'll do something with it. But then there was a huge number of people that literally got on there and said, I've got ADHD. I've never had trauma. This is BS. You know, I refuse to accept it. So the first thing we kind of need to look at is what people's definition of trauma is, is exceptionally limited. So trauma, think of this, something like 67% of babies born are born with a neurologic dysfunction. And when you think, when, you, when you're pushed through a birth canal, birth is, is a traumatic experience. You know, You're leaving this beautiful, warm, cozy space that you've existed in and being forced out into the world um and either you're being you know pulled out as they say my my kids are all pulled out through you know c-section through the sunroof you know a hand reaches in or forceps reach in and and grab you forcibly and pull you out of there or you're forced through a narrow canal and you know all of the all all the plates in your skull are, are soft and malleable at that point but your head is being squeezed into all kinds of different shapes which means your brain has got all this mechanical pressure on it so when we come out We've just been through an incredibly traumatic experience, which, you know, is emotional on some levels, but certainly physical as well. And so the human organism, we are the most adaptable organism, perhaps on the planet. You know, our DNA, we, we, we literally express somewhere between 1% and 2% of our DNA. So let's say for argument's sake, we're only expressing around 1.5% of our DNA, we call coding DNA, We've got another 98.5% of what we call non-coding DNA, which scientists used to call junk DNA, and that's just available to respond to environment and respond to different stresses, respond to different situations, and we can express these different genes, turn them on, turn them off, so that we can adapt to different situations. And so basically what we do when we're born, roughly two-thirds of us are born with some level of dysfunction, which might show, show itself as a sleeping disorder. It might show itself as... You know, as reflux, it might show itself as any number of different things that babies just cry with, but can't articulate. But then, over the course of uh, our life, usually about twelve to eighteen months, you'll hear most doctors or paediatricians just say, "Oh, these things just tend to sort themselves out. They'll just normalise themselves. They'll be fine." And sorting themselves out means you've just figured out a compensation. You've just figured out a way to do life. It's not saying that that's optimal. It's not saying that what you've discovered was the best way to go, but go about it. You've just discovered a compensation, and now you can continue. So. That's a traumatic experience. Your mother being being separated from your mother in those first few hours—that's a traumatic experience. There's there are biological conflicts that come up in the nervous system all the time that I see as a result of those experiences. Being lost in a supermarket when you're a little kid, even for a period of fifteen minutes, you might you know you can look at that now as an adult and say, "Oh, you know, that was just an experience. That you know it was actually nothing." But at the time, that was traumatizing. So. Our, our biology is, is responding to those traumas all the time. We have these special biological programs which, which get activated and we kind of run on, on heightened alert or we'll run a program to get us through that traumatic experience. and then after the trauma has subsided we'll kind of, our physiology will calm down and we we'll, you know hopefully return to normal but um, the, the signature of that event remains you know and the compensations from that event remain and they may show themselves. Decades later, when a similar experience literally makes that old trauma relevant in your neurology, and then all of a sudden you kick off with a bunch of compensatory patterns. So, trauma is a really, really, really broad term, and it should be used more broadly, I think, than it is. And when we start to look at it that way, then we can kind of begin to understand, we can open up and understand perhaps how much it's actually affecting. So, every single one of us has wounds, you know, and it's easier to accept that you say, like, oh, I don't have trauma, but no. Okay, now I've probably got some wounds. I could say that. Yep. You know, I had a rough breakup when, when, I, was a, when I was 16, um, you know, or other things. And so we've all got wounds and every single one of us is here to heal. And that's the thing. If we look at this in a more kind of universal, um, more, more universal lens, really every single one of us is here to heal because we have a level of purpose. We're here to do something. There is a life purpose that each and every single one of us is here for, something you're here to do. Kind of stands to reason that you couldn't possibly execute this life purpose, this most important thing in your life, if you weren't the very best version of yourself. You can't be the very, pre best version of yourself until you're whole. You don't get to be whole until you've done all your healing work. And every single one of us is literally here to heal. So some of us are born and create traumas, as in we'll have these experiences. Others of us are born into family systems where there's pre-existing trauma. We call that ancestral trauma. That's like wounds are just already there waiting. So. Every single one of us has got wounds. It's just whether we want to step up and actually do the healing work to, so we can have our best life. You know, execute and full, live that purpose because that's where we'll feel most fulfilled. You know, that's where we'll, that's where literally life will be at its highest expression. Mm. Beautifully,
0: beautifully summarized, Scott. I'd love to. I guess one thing I'd really like to explore is, obviously, many of us have you know traumas from the past, and it's it can be affecting us in the day to day sense um and that process of then observe, observing assessing identifying those past wounds or traumas that process and then picking them apart and working through them is a very delicate process so do you want to sort of explore how you sort of go about that
1: yeah look that's i guess it's challenging to describe because i always say What I do for what I do, it's just, it's a unique process. What I, what I take people through. So there can't be, if it's unique, then it's obviously different from anything else you've, you've done slightly or greatly, but it will be different, which means that you can't have a complete or a full context on, on what it is until you've kind of gone through it and experienced it. But suffice to say that it's a lot easier. It's a, things are actually a lot easier than we make them out to be and a lot easier than we understand them to be. So Think of think of this. Let's just take it back to why, you know, what so those words you're saying about that it's a you know it, it's a delicate process or a challenging process or it can be pretty hard or it can be long. And and I think that's that's the prevailing idea. That's the prevailing idea that this, you know, trauma stuff is not fun and it's it's a long, hard, slow road. And there's no shortage of people that you can talk to that'll confirm that experience for you, you know. And and it's one of those major hurdles to actually getting into healing or healing traumas because you know, people think like, I don't want to have to just go through those emotions and all those emotions that I felt in the trauma, I don't want to have to relive those. I don't want to have to sit through them and look at them. And I don't want to have to pour them out onto the table so somebody else can pick through them and then give me some suggestions. And like, that just doesn't sound fun. So it's not to say that it couldn't possibly be effective. It just doesn't sound fun. And that's generally what most people express. Now, when you have, so we're, we're really in life, we're typically worried about giving things away. So I'm going to step this right back just to a conceptual level, then we'll tie it, tie it off hopefully in a nice neat bow of neuroscience and emotions. Um, but we're worried about giving things away. We, we, we worry about, you know, having enough and people worry about scarcity and, you know, and, and abundance is a big thing to a lot of people. So we like to try and hang on to things. But think about ideas. When we sort of strip things right back and what I find in the nervous system in the body is that literally thought energy runs almost deepest to anything. So it's like it's our thoughts that literally are creating our experience. It's our thoughts that when they reach the subconscious mind, they become beliefs because the subconscious mind doesn't argue, it doesn't think critically, it doesn't debate, it just accepts. So any thought that reaches the subconscious mind will be accepted as a belief. Those beliefs will begin to write programs. Those programs will create emotions. Those programs will create behaviors and choices and feelings and biases and they literally create our limitations because they create this framework of rules via which we interact with the world we interact with everybody else because we've decided how the world literally is going to be so it creates all of our perceptions and then all of our perceptions that you dictate our reactions now if you have an idea and again thought energy being the deepest like one of the, the deepest thing if that thought energy is deepest to everything if you have an idea and you give that idea away you share that idea someone else takes it on board Literally, when they take it on board, that strengthens that idea in you. So, by sharing an idea, you can actually gain more of it. You actually increase what you have by sharing, which is a a beautiful thing to think of. Now, if you look at how people understand trauma and understand healing, the idea that's been shared largely is that it's hard. It's really tough, and and so we go into the process accepting this is a long journey. It's going to be tough. I'm not going to like it. This is going to be slow, and it's going to be rough. And And it's not just the person who needs to heal who has that, it's the counselor, it's the doctor, it's the clinician, it's the practitioner who has the same beliefs as well. And so, and and they're the ones that we're giving the the authority to. We're we're walking into their, their space and it's their atmosphere of belief that we're surrendering to because they're the professional. And if that's been their experience, that this is hard and long and slow, well, we've both already swallowed that limitation before we even start. So... My experience is very, very different to that, and it's one of the, the first things that we do when we start is we just have to say, oh, we need to leave all that stuff outside. That just doesn't help us. The mind is absolutely limitless. It's completely limitless, but if we want to allow everybody else's limitations into this space, well, then that's what—that's where we'll be handbraked. We'll be stuck at that level, and things will go very, very slowly. So what, in a nutshell, what I do with people is... We can identify what. We can identify what's going on. We can localize to when. We can find where in the neurophysiology. We can, we can find all of those Ws. But then we have to ask the, ask the system, what do you want? How? How do you want us to actually fix this? Because what came into my awareness was that I was, and it felt amazing because I was seeing I was seeing results on a far more miraculous level than what I'd ever seen before when I just first started working with the brain and neurology. It's a completely different level of experience in terms of what I was able to do. But really what I was doing was I was highlighting a what? I was highlighting a problem. And then I was literally asking that body or not even asking the body, just telling that body, okay, here's my system. This is how we're fixing it. And really I just had one approach. So I kind of have now a very, very long list of approaches and we can just tap into the super conscious. If I don't actually have the response, if I don't have what's actually needed, we can just kind of download it from that limitless level of mind and the body can tell us exactly what it needs. We just need to be humble enough to actually get out of the way and listen. So we'll find what's going on and then we'll just ask the body, ask the system, what do you want? How do you want us to heal this? And it's just, it's a much faster, much easier way, you know, And, and you think that limitless level of mind, it knows what you need. It knows what the issue is. It knows how to get where you want to get to and it knows the easiest path. You know and it knows whether you're safe or whether you're not so it'll it'll guide us down a path that is literally the easiest smoothest safest way for us to go and you know if we work with that if we work with the body then we can have amazing easy results and if we decide that we're just going to force our own system we're going to impose our own system on a higher level intelligence organism like you've got to have to be humble and accept that the body the brain it's a higher level intelligence organism than certainly what we are consciously. Um, we're imposing a limited system, a limited man-made system, on a limitless biological system, you know, or a limitless mind, and that's going to be met with limited results. So, um, hopefully, that just gives an idea. It's difficult to exploit to describe the process, but that's basically what we're doing, you know. Mm-hmm. Find the problem, tap into that that field of information, and then just be humble and ask what it wants, and it knows. It always knows. And we just kind of just roll with that, just work with rather than, than against.
0: Awesome. And then, then I sort of imagine that the resolution, the resolution of trauma for individuals, obviously that, that varies significantly. And there's, there, in some situations, is there no resolution? Like is there actually no
1: final resolution of the trauma? Okay, so I'm going to, this is a touchy subject. And if you're listening to this, I'm just going to say, so check your emotional reactions first. Because emotional reactions come when wounds are sort of touched on. And when wounds are touched on, you know, we'll literally get defensive and we'll get and we will defend our wounds. And you think emotional reactions do what they protect. They do literally they'll they'll do those defensive reactions will do what they're trying to protect. So um what I'm want to suggest to people is that at the deepest level, this is something I've found now for a number of years, and it just keeps coming up. And I would say that I'm now understanding how to work with it much better i wouldn't say that i yet 100% understand how to overturn this in sort of a click of a fingers sort of level just yet but so much of it comes down to desire and what we truly want you know the mind if you if you don't choose to be wholly joyous or wholly happy or just you know completely happy the mind cannot the mind cannot have what it doesn't choose to be like it's the mind that's governing everything, and it's those levels of thought that are governing everything and/or dictating the experience of life. And if we don't actually, at a fundamental, at a base level, actually choose to be happy or choose to be whole, you can't have that because you're choosing something else by definition. So, and the emotional reaction that a lot of people get is they'll jump to blame straight away and say, You're saying this is my fault that I'm depressed, or You're saying it's my fault. And it's never, it's never that. It's never, ever that it's anybody's fault. There's never, ever blame. But Think of it when you're in trauma, or when you're in a, a lower emotional state, like depression. Um, if you've been in those lower emotional states, or you've been you've been feeling those emotions which are being generated by traumas, because so, because somewhere very close to one hundred percent, if not hundred percent, of traumas will impact us in the limbic brain. There will be lim- there'll be emotional conflicts, and we'll we'll experience you know altered emotions as a result, and altered emotional patterns as a result of trauma. So if we've been in those states for a long time, then that becomes our habitual experience of life. And then the pituitary gland, which literally secretes, which is the, the, the master, um, it's, it's the master gland, which, which secretes all of our hormones, or it, it dictates which hormones are going to be secreted in the body and, and released. So the, the brain, the body wants to run on programs always, so the hypothalamus is literally detecting what is going on in the system. It sends messages to the, to the, to the pituitary gland to sort of mix up the different cocktails of chemicals, all these different hormones um, and peptides, so that you know it can regulate the system accordingly. And it will regulate our system according, you know, according to the emotions that we're experiencing. And if we experience sad or unhappy or depressed emotions on a frequent habitual basis, well, then that becomes the habitual experience. And then because the body's trying to run programs, it doesn't want to have to calculate every single in every single moment. What do you need? If you, it's a lot like social media, it will try and give you the experience that it thinks you want to have. And if you're telling it that you're sad all the time, it then begins to believe that's the experience that you want to have. And so just like social media, it's like, Oh, it will just try and enhance this experience for you. So, and the, the literally the pituitary, pituitary gland will do that. It just gets to know the order. It gets to know exactly what it is, what hormones, what, Peptides, what neurochemical substrates you actually want to maintain those same lower level emotions, and it'll just keep giving you that, that that hormonal balance, and so you get stuck in those patterns, and we literally become addicted to those chemicals. Now, what I have found is that when people are in that state for a long period of time, it becomes really difficult. Uh, well, certainly, what I see, I see that people find it really challenging to connect with desire, connect with that which they truly want and when you ask people who are depressed you ask people who are down or in these lower emotional states like what do you want most people don't know most people will give you an answer on the lines of i don't want to be depressed or i just want something that's anything that's the opposite of this which is really not a true desire it's not take it's not giving your mind anything to latch onto in terms of something that it can create from if you have an image in your mind of a happy life and you know i want you know i want a, a wife and kids and a Happy house, and I want want to see us playing in the playground and going to the beach. And like, if that's my dream, if if that's the visual, well, that gives my mind something to anchor into and actually sort of work towards. And I can make choices based on that. If my choice is literally, I don't want to be depressed. If that's really like, that's what I'm including in my intention is on some level, I'm including the depression in my intention. I've just got that word depressed still in my intention. So, you know, people find it. What I have seen is that people find it really more difficult to connect with that desire on the way out. And so really they're the only, they're actually the only cases that I've seen that haven't resolved when people haven't been able to connect to something that they truly want, you know, and again, there's no blame that doesn't, that hasn't happened or you found that difficult or you just haven't found the right process, but that's kind of the place to start. You actually need to connect with that desire um, and, and connect with what you truly want. And it has to be, it has to be something that's true to you. It can't be just you, something you've made up because you saw it on TV and it looked cool. It has to be something that's actually true to you. And then if you can connect with that, then that's your starting place. The ball's rolling. And I haven't seen anybody that hasn't been able to overturn things from from that point.
0: Awesome. Awesome. I guess what we can um, segue onto is is um, something that I think is affecting a lot of people currently, and we discussed it before the podcast, is is fear. Yeah. Um, mm. Sort of mentioned what you've seen recently with some clients you want to sort of share how fear can just dramatically affect our our consciousness
1: yeah absolutely so and again so fear again fear, nobody who is living in fear is truly alive that's that, like we're not truly alive and human if we're living in fear you know and and again there's another quote that i love that you know if we want to defend our limitations, because this one comes up all the time when we talk about fear and I've, I've tried to help a lot of times with fear and I think I've had a lot of success, but there's people who will defend their limitations. People will defend their limiting beliefs and 100% of the limitations we want to fight for the 100% of the limitations that we want to give our allegiance to and align with and nurture and support. We get to keep those limitations. So whenever I speak about fear, you know, it will resonate with a bunch of people and and I'll seem to get some really good feedback and people, you know, describe that it's been really helpful and helped change their life. But there'll always be people who will comment or come back with, fear's good. No, 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 you need fear. Fear's helpful. Fear keeps you safe. You need fear, you know, and that's a limitation. Fear debilitates the nervous system. Fear literally just debilitates our biology. And, you know, and like I said, it completely robs us of, of our whole experience of life you don't need fear for anything you have reason for that you know people say well what happens if you're getting chased by a predator like you need the fear to be able to get away I'm like well no you have reason for that you can see that that animal is going to eat me and my best option is to run away my best option is to get it is to get up a tree so you know we have we have reason that we can always apply and when we're fearful we lose reason you know and this is the thing so when we're as soon as we're stressed or especially if we're fearful blood immediately is shunted from the prefrontal cortex and back to the brainstem. And that prefrontal cortex, as we say, is that most magnificent, most highly evolved part of the brain. It's what we, you know, we really celebrate. as we talk about it being, it's our executive center and it's, you know, that, that's what makes us human. It's what sets us apart from so many other species um, that we have this large prefrontal cortex that's so connected and amazing. But as soon as we get fearful, blood slows down. We don't get as much blood going there, going there. We get blood going back to the brainstem, which is literally known as the reptilian brain. That is the most ancient part of the part of the brain. It's the it's literally the oldest part of the brain, and that's where all of our reflexes are. That's where all of our survival responses are. And so, if we have more blood going back there, our attention's going back there, and our focus is going back there, and our decisions start to come from there. And we we literally just get more more reflexive. And so, those emotional reactions, the, those reflexive responses, something that we've all seen in this country, you know. And again, no judgment. It's just it is what it is. But it's just it's literally exhibiting a fear pattern when you see there's a lockdown or there's, you know, things change, people get scared and literally there's no issue with the food supply, but everybody's running to the supermarket to buy toilet paper and clean the shelves out of food and everything. And, you know, and it's not, there there was no problem with any of the supply chains. There's nothing, no issues there at all. It was like, okay, there's, there's a pathogen. There's a pathogen that might make people sick, but literally people are running and like cleaning it, cleaning out all the supermarkets of toilet paper. And, it doesn't, it's not logical. Like it's not something that if you've got full access to your conscious mind at that point, like you'd be able to see through, you'd be able to see, see through the logic in that. So yes, if we're fearful, our experience of life is certainly reduced and lessened. Um, it, uh, we're, we're far more reflexive in our, in our responses and our emotional reactions. Um, and, and I think the thing to remember is depending on how you see yourself, depending on how you allow yourself to see yourself, um, if you're prepared to accept that you can say whatever you want for a higher power, I don't mind what words you want to, you want to insert, if you want to insert God, if you want to insert universe, if you want to insert consciousness or source or whatever you want. But if you, uh, you, if you come from a connected to or in some way come from a higher power, if you believe as most people do, most people believe they have a soul. If you have a soul, that's who you truly are. That's that's the truth of who you are, and again, you might call your soul your higher self. What again? I don't mind about the language you want to use, but that level of self, you can just call it your limitless mind. That lim- that limitless mind, that soul, that higher self, that's infinite, and it's eternal, and it's unchanging. It's perfect, and and again, I get to see that perfection. I get to see that perfection downloaded in sessions for people, and then I see the effect that it has when we when we download it and we literally give that information back to the body at a conscious level, and. That limitless, perfect information, that's who you truly are. And so when you connect with that, you kind of know, well, if I'm limitless, if I'm infinite, if I'm eternal on some level, if I'm unchanging perfection, that perfection doesn't change. That means it can't be, it was always here. It's here now. It's always going to be here because by definition, it's eternal. It's perfect, which means it's unchanging. It's unchanging perfection, which means that it can't be dented, can't be harmed, can't be affected in any way. It's always going to be perfect. So where does the fear, or where does the danger exist in that? If I can, if I can allow myself to be connected on on that level, on that level of mind, then I can see that fear is false. Like the fear is just something that I've constructed in my mind. And again, that fear, the reason I'm feeling it, and it feels real, it feels really, fear feels really real, but it's just not true. It feels really real because I have created all of these subconscious beliefs throughout my life, which I've downloaded from other people, and, and I've. I've absorbed from my parents, and I've absorbed, absorbed from teachers and peers, and those subconscious beliefs which allow me to interpret the world around me. They include all of my perceptions; they form and shape all of my perceptions. And in those perceptions, I'll have certain beliefs about certain things, certain sensory stimuli that I believe to be dangerous or I believe to be harmful. And so, as soon as I encounter those, I'm going to experience. I'm going to experience the result that it's at the that's at the end of that. Or experience the emotional reaction or the response that's at the end of that perception now again what i see in healing work is we can change those perceptions work with the mind you can change those perceptions to whatever you want so people who are experiencing stress and fear around certain situations certain people certain stimuli you can change those perceptions so that they just give you peace they just give you peace or they just give you wholeness they just give you calm again we have to choose that and there's a little bit of work to do that but we have we have that power the mind's absolutely limitless we can completely overturn that so and if that's the case if we can transform that fear from something that was debilitating us into just peace well that kind of means the fear wasn't real the fear was if we can just change it and turn it around and people talk about conquering fear again that's an it's another way of saying that you're transforming the fear if you can conquer it well then it wasn't real you changed it so again, if we want to fight for the limitation that it's real, well, then we will make it more and more real and we'll get to keep that. But if we want to open up to something that's more limitless, well, then we've got a whole bunch of other options that are available.
0: Mm, awesome. Awesome. So I guess maybe we can also link in, obviously, with that fear-based response, we can link in, I guess, something that's affecting, again, a lot of people right now, and that's that social isolation. Let's sort mm. of unpack the implications of
1: being socially isolated. Yeah, we're a social animal you know, we need connection. It's, you know, and, and I think I'm not going to say that it's sad. It's just is, there's no, all situations are neutral or all situations are perfect until somebody comes along and judges it with an incomplete awareness and says that's negative or that's bad or that's sad. Um, but something that I notice is that we're in this different, very strange and very different time in human history where we have made human beings afraid of one another and we're a social animal who needs connection. Like we need connection. We need that connectedness and the neuroscience of connection is something phenomenal. It's quite, it's amazing the effect on our health, on our biology. When we feel connected, connected to self, connected to others, connected to our, to a deeper purpose, connected to something higher. And so connection is just not, just not bilateral, not just between you and me. It's connection between us and all things connection between mind and all minds connection between self true self and higher purpose so there's this connection on multiple different levels and when we remove connection well again that's going to have a serious effect on our biology if you look at the reports of people who've survived terminal diagnoses of disease so terminal cancers and other diseases one of the consistent factors is connection a strong connection to family or loved ones connection to a purpose like a strong sense of purpose and a strong sense of self and so like connection is kind of woven in there into the the hierarchy of needs in terms of to put the body right when it's at its most challenged when it's literally at its you know at, at death's door its connection is one of the things that is central to to us finding and achieving health so the fact that we've gone and implemented implemented changes and we've we've literally gone and set society up to make human beings afraid of one another, I've been saying for a while that really, and again, it's just an observation. I'm not telling people what they should or shouldn't do. But really, if we look at if this whole situation, if it was all truly about health, we'd probably be doing things a bit differently, you know, and we'd certainly on some level we'd be be speaking to or we'd be looking to try and cover that need for connection in some way, shape or form. You know, maybe, you know, and it might be altered from how it normally is. I can, that's, that's okay. But, you know, we'd be looking at things very differently. That, that connection is, is incredibly important. And so, yes, at the moment where people are experiencing fear and what we were just talking about before is it's really difficult. It's difficult to get these messages across to people because if you are experiencing a level of fear, most likely you won't even realize it. You just will have integrated it as normal. It just will have become your new experience of life and your new normal and we don't question things we'll just go ahead and kind of do what we're told because we're you know that's where we're fearful and so if we get led then that's helpful in those states because we don't have access to the prefrontal cortex and we can't think as clearly and if someone comes along and presents you with information that is different from what you have accepted as true within your survival needs something that challenges the projection that you've set up in your mind of what you believe you need to be safe you're going to have a pretty strong emotional reaction to that. So I always say with this information, just let just sit with it. If your experience, if this feels challenging in any way to listen to, just sit with it, let it just sit in your mind and let it just marinate because you know the truth will come to you if you just allow it to allow it to to be there. And yeah, understanding how important that level of connection actually is, and there's ways we can reach out, we can reach out to others, just making more of an effort to call people on the phone, have do video calls. You know, do virtual hugs with people. You can literally meditate on connection, and you can imagine yourself hugging your loved ones. You know, and I always say the brain doesn't know what's real or what's imagined. So if you can create those experiences, and your bi- biology is going to respond, then we have a huge amount of power within that. You know, yes, life could probably be different if we were actually all able to go out and hug each other and actually be connected. Um, but if if we're aware of those effect, those negative effects, well, then. We can take steps to mitigate that by, you know, by literally embracing meditation, embracing happy emotional states, visualizing, and and then working by the other means that we have to create connection. You know, well, our technology is amazing for being able to maintain connection, um, so it's definitely something to pay attention to in these in these current times. Mm, yeah, really well said, Scott. Um, something else.
0: Switching gears a little bit, you did mention um, a sense of purpose, and I, I'd love to unpack this a little bit more because. I mean, I've got family members, friends that that say they don't have a a sense of purpose. Do you want to sort of Mm. talk about
1: that a little bit? Okay. So every single one of us has a purpose. Every single one of us is here to do something. You, me, everybody else, you are a uniquely beautiful being who's limitless and infinite. um, And you're here to do something special. Um, Every single one of us. And whether or not you found that or not doesn't take away from the fact that that's, that's the truth of the matter. Now a lot of people cause themselves a lot of stress chasing that and looking for that because it's kind of the one thing that people are aware of that like, yeah, this life must be about something, must be about something more than my day to day, nine to five, get in the car, go to work, come home, watch TV, go to sleep, get up and repeat. You know? So that's like, we, we find ourselves at some point thinking there has to be more than this. And so we're aware of purpose. And when we become aware of it, that sounds really good. So we, we typically go looking for it and we chase it. And, I've had a lot of people over a lot of time that I, I know have experienced a lot of stress because they can't find it. They can't access it. And there's a couple of reasons there. First thing is let's just look at what we would call a perfect individuation. So again, we touched on the soul before. Again, the soul, the true self, the higher self, you know, limitless level of mind, whatever you want to call it. But that soul is here for a specific experience you're here for learning and for growth and experience there's there's things that you are here to try and get out of this life now if we can accept that there are a certain set number of things that that true self that soul wants to get out of this life well then it would kind of mean that if you went and ticked all those boxes that would be what we'd call a perfect life that would be uh a perfect individuation. So we'd say there's universal consciousness and then there's individuated consciousness. And so you and I are experiencing an individuated consciousness, a life of just being individuated. We can have our own experience, our own learning and our own growth. Now, if we do the things that the soul truly wants or the true self truly, truly wants, then that would be a perfect individuation. Now there's some steps to that. There's the first step is healing. I said every single one of us has these wounds we need to heal. You need to heal so that you can get whole. When you're whole, you're at a much higher expression. The reason we say whole, and I'll just unpack that for a moment, is every time you have a wound, it's like a split. It causes a dualistic split. So you are whole and perfect. You come into this world whole and perfect, then you have a wound and you split that whole into a pair of opposites. You split it into a positive and a negative. They're a much lower expression. And so you lose that whole perfection on some level and then you're left with a positive and a negative. And then that negative, we kind of don't want to look at, you know, or we just, we, we, we pack away. So what we're doing when we're healing is we're kind of remembering those lost pieces of the self. We're remembering those, those pieces and putting them back together, which makes you more whole. So when you're more whole, you're at a much higher expression. So you imagine if you put all those little pieces back together, it's like putting Humpty Dumpty back together. All of a sudden, you, you know, you're, you're, you're whole and you're so much more. And when you are whole and so much more, then you can have access to your purpose. And as you, as you go through your purpose, then you can sort of move on to what we call sort of creation. You are here to create something beautiful in this life. So kind of those four steps. So number one, people get stuck because they don't, they're not following those kind of steps. People get aware of purpose. They start chasing it, but they haven't done the healing work. So it's not actually available. You're not, if you're not at your highest expression, it would, like we said, it would stand to reason that you're probably just, if you're not your very, very best version of self, you're potentially not up for actually executing that purpose. You might not be at the level of mind where you're actually able to do it. And if you chase it, then really what you're doing, rather than chasing purpose, you're actually creating resistance to the things you're avoiding. You're creating resistance to going and doing the healing work. And that's just going to cause friction, which will experience the stress or dysfunction or pain or other lower emotional states. Now, that's kind of one level. That, that's That's one level towards purpose. The other thing which is really big is knowing who you are, knowing who you truly are. And think of this, most people on the planet, the vast majority of people on the planet have absolutely no idea who they truly are. What Who we know, the person who we know is we know how we spend all of our time. We know what our behaviors are. We know what our behaviors are in certain situations. We know what our emotional reactions are going to be largely to a lot of different people in different situations. We know the things we like, know the things we don't like. And so we know our patterns. We know how we spend all of our time. We know the states in which we spend all of our time. All of that is just patterns. All of that we could look at and say are just habitual, specific combinations of neurotransmitter releases around certain behaviors, emotions, people, things. All of those are different distortions of the human energy field. The human energy field will literally distort itself into different shapes and different colors and, and, and reduced or increased expressions on different levels around certain environmental stimuli or emotional stimuli and so all of that is just patterns and all of that is how we how we know ourselves but none of that is who you are all of that's just it's just patterns and just behaviors the truth of who you are is that limitless level of mind that that soul that higher self that that infinite beautiful uniquely beautiful individual and when we can tap into that when we kind of become one with that or tap into that well, then we can get that true information about who we truly are and then we can understand what we're supposed to do. So it kind of makes sense when you think I can't find my purpose, I'm searching everywhere looking for it, it would make sense that how can I possibly find the, find the purpose for the person that I don't know? If I don't know who that person is, how can I possibly know what that person's supposed to do? So it kind of makes sense. You kind of need to know that person first. So we need to know ourselves on a, on a deeper and a more true level Um, and even just bringing that into our awareness can be really powerful. You know, if you're listening to this and just holding the belief, not an arrogant belief of, I know who I am because I look at all my past patterns, but just kind of going within and just giving, giving that to ourselves of, you know, I know who I am and then just being open because if the subconscious believes that I know who I am. But on some level, I'm actually in my in my day-to-day experience. What I'm experiencing is a level of confusion, or I can't connect with purpose, or there's things that are kind of telling me, "No, that's not really true." If my subconscious believes that I know who I am, well, it will go looking for that information. And this is the thing: the conscious mind accounts for only about five percent of our total brain processing. Your subconscious mind accounts for the other ninety-five percent. So. This is the reason why so many people find it so difficult to get past those patterns and get past the subconscious and they literally talk about the subconscious in negative terms because they believe it's tying them to an experience of life and holding them back and it's one of the reasons why when you work with it, it can be such a powerful thing and such an empowering thing and you can literally change your life because the brain is just so incredibly arrogant. If it believes something, if it holds the belief that I know who I am and then its experience of life or the environments that it encounter give it a different experience that doesn't match with that belief. It doesn't suddenly get humble and then say, oh, this, wow, I must have been wrong here. Okay, maybe I need to rethink this. It, it will never do that. It will literally, it's so arrogant, it'll just go and change the world to go and fit with its belief. So it will go and get to work to change the emotions, change the feelings, change the situation so that it can match with the belief that you hold. And so that's why working with the mind is so powerful. Because the mind itself is so powerful and it's arrogant. <laughs> it literally will just, it'll do everything it needs to do to make itself right. And mm. so if we if we can put the right beliefs in, if we can anchor into true thought from a true level of mind, from a true level of self, well, then we can completely change our life to something that feels way more true and way more perfect for us.
0: Awesome, awesome. Very well. Very well explained there. I think um, something that also popped up just just personally is um when I, when I take a look at sort of like my, sort of my own sense of purpose, a lot of it is actually very future-oriented and wanting to leave a mark, like mm. sort of, you know, wanting to, and I'm looking at that, I'm like, is that, is that mostly ego-based, that sort of wanting to leave, leave a mark?
1: Well, there's a, there's a, I don't know if you want to call it, you, you could call it ego-based, well, you can label it whatever you want. I would more look at it and say, think of it this way, time doesn't, does not exist in the subconscious mind right? So time doesn't exist in the subconscious mind, which is to say that the subconscious mind exists in the present. It exists in the present moment. So if we're looking at things from the future and saying, I will do this and I will do that. There's these things that I will do. Well, if I, if that's what I'm trying to anchor into the mind to try and get me there. And most people do that via affirmations. You know, I will be great today. I will have a wonderful day. I will be loved and whole. All those affirmations sound wonderful, they do nothing other than really tie us to an experience of life that we're already stuck in. The reason being is that you're putting, you're doing everything you can to try and get past the conscious mind to reach the subconscious mind with this future affirmation, which your subconscious mind will never get to because it's always in the present. So I'm just putting something off into the future that I'm never, ever, the subconscious is never going to get there. Now where you experience your greatest states of communication in the nervous system is in moments of present moment awareness, In present moment, awareness is where the nervous system is literally firing greatest. And again, think of it this way. It's impossible. So judgment becomes impossible without the past. Judgment is literally just us working from previous, from past information, past experiences to judge a situation and on some level reject it. That's what judgment is. And so when we bring the past, that's us imposing the past on the present to try and get an idea of what's going on and try and understand the present moment. We're literally trying to understand it from our past perceptions. We're trying to understand the present moment from how we perceive the past. Not anything true because our experience is uniquely our own. We are each creating our own reality and we're understanding that reality we're creating by our own perceptions. And so those perceptions create our experience. And that's what we're recording in our memory. We're recording our perceptions of what happened so when we're basing all of our current decisions on past experiences, which is what the conscious mind wants to do. It wants to build all its plans for moving forward. It wants to build from memory and experience. It just wants to build from that data bank that we've accumulated throughout our life. So it's working from memory and experience, which is a collection of our perceptions. And those perceptions, if we're prepared to, be, to look at them and say, they're potentially not actually real, that's just my perceptions then what I'm doing is I'm imposing it on the present and then I'm formulating projections about how I think the future is going to go based on that past information, which is potentially not real in the first place. So the only place that we can actually get real is in the present moment. And when we do that, it's really powerful because what we're doing is we're then putting those subconscious programs to the side by saying, right, no, no, I'm going to be here in the moment and I'm just going to ask, right, what is going on? What's the truth of this situation? What's the truth now? So perhaps rather than sort of saying, I want to leave my mark in the future, or I want to, you know, build a legacy, or there's things that I want to do. The question might be like, you know, how can what's what's the true action that maximally allows me to benefit society here and now, or what is the tr- what is true for me and my purpose? What's the true action here and now for me? Like, what's true in this moment, and and then what we're doing is we're turning the programs off and you're telling the brain, which is this magnificent organ that's a quantum field of information and processes something like 40 billion bits of information every single second, you're telling that, hey, figure it out, get to work. Don't turn off and go to sleep for me. The reason the brain wants to turn off is because it's just trying to make sure it can survive. It just wants to just run on energy efficient programs so that we've got enough time to be able to go out and hunt, get more food, refuel and stay alive. We don't need that today. We've got Aldi and Woolworths and Coles across the road. We, we can literally just go and get food and, and refuel when we need to. So if you have a limitless energy supply, which in modern society, in Western society we do, then, or well, most people do, then you can actually afford the energy to just be present and just say, okay, no, what's the truth of this situation? What is true for me right now? What's right for me? What is the best step for me right now? What's the perfect solution for me in this situation? Not, just switch off run the autopilot and just i'm just going to run the subconscious programs that you know have locked me into this current experience of life and are going to continue to do so down the track and so you can shift course right now and then perhaps rather than aiming at a projection in the future that you, that we've just created from a limited conscious mind rather than just aiming towards some goal that we've just made up if we connect with something that's more limitless in the moment then what can unfold in the future might be way, way, way more, you know, and we're not locking ourselves into that experience. So yeah, on one level, I think it is good. Goals are great. And it's great to have an awareness. Like, okay, I want something more. I want something greater, I want to be this very best version of myself, but we don't want to be the one we don't want to be the ones that fill the details in on that. So when you're sort of saying, I want to go to the future and I want this, you know, the legacy or something I want to do, the desire is perfect. The desire is fantastic once you've had the desire then we just want to connect with it we want to be process oriented and stay in the moment stay in that process of being present and just constantly asking what's the right choice what's the right thing what's the best thing i can do in this moment we don't want to be the ones that fill the details in we want to leave that up to that limitless level of mind so you want or if you want to say higher power you say i want to leave that up to the universe let the universe fill the details in you know because that limitless level of mind is seeing all options i don't want to be the one that fills the details in, on that when i'm just at ground level and i'm in the trenches you know, I want that limitless level of mind and just that let that pull in all the perfect stuff for me. So put the mind to work. The mind is absolutely limitless and that's one way we can get it to work for us, you know, far more powerfully.
0: Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. All right, well, Scott, today's been an absolute, you know, blast. I think a lot of my listeners would have, you've unpacked and opened up, I guess maybe even for some, perhaps some wounds for them. So I guess maybe for those listening in, um, where can they learn more about you and what you do?
1: Yeah, look, I, everybody who contacts me always say, look, if it feels truly right, so, you know, connect with what, if you, if you've, if it's resonated with you on some level, if you're still listening now, at this point, you have my gratitude for for holding your attention through this, you know, through this, this whole episode. Um, and if it's felt like there's a level of truth, they're the spaces you want to feel into. So it's, I, I'm easy to find on Instagram and Facebook as the brain guy, the dot brain dot guy. Um, and Anybody who speaks a level of truth that just creates that level of resonance in you, they're the people you want to actually go and spend time with and actually work with because they will open up those truths in you and you'll experience so much more. So, you know, just, I I guess, just sit with what you've, what you've found today and, you know, and if it does feel right to sort of reach out at some point, then I'm always open and happy to help. Awesome.
0: All right. We'll make sure to leave those links in the show notes um but scott thank you so much for coming on
1: the show today now uh, lucas thanks for the chat this has actually been a really really cool chat i really enjoy getting to have the chat and share all this information awesome
0: thank you thank you everyone for joining in to today's episode for in-depth show notes and lessons learned visit nofilter.media forward slash boost your biology This has been a no-filter media production.
1: Say what you want.